A Polar Voices perspective with the Ecosystem Dynamics Research Lab's Spring Shoveling Team. The longer history of climate change research in the Arctic has been to take mini little greenhouses and put them on top of the vegetation or in, on over plots in the vegetation and increase air temperatures in the summer. But that only increases air temperature and only increases summer temperature, but it ignores the whole rest of the, basically an entire half of the year if you don't change winter temperatures. Um, and in terms of climate change, that's kind of an unrealistic thing because the temperatures are not going to change in just half of the year. And actually the projections for future climate change show that the biggest changes are going to occur in the winter because the winter is most sensitive to small changes in temperature. Like if you think about you know a change from say, minus two to zero Celsius is a much bigger impact on an ecosystem than a change from 12 to 14 Celsius. So including this winter manipulation kind of gives us um, a little bit of a unique edge or adds, adds to a smaller pool of experimental information about how the Arctic will respond to climate change. So the need really is the climate change, understanding the climate change dynamics. Let's push the ecosystem to be much warmer than it is. And that's our warming manipulation. What patterns will we see? And if we see if we increase soil temperatures on average by two degrees, which is something that we might expect in the future, um, how does that change carbon release? And then let's use that. But we're not actually taking long term trends to make our predictions. We're using this forced manipulation to say something about what the future might so we have a there's a borehole out at one of our our field sites which has temperature measurements that go to that go to 30 meters and that has been um, monitored about yearly since the mid 80s and so the um, we can track temper um, permafrost temperatures at depth and they have been warming over the past several decades, which is another reason that we're studying this site because we have that really long, that long history. Um, but permafrost is ground that is permanently frozen for three or more years. Two or three I or thought more? it was two. It's two or more. Yeah, two or more years. And so it can both include soil or rocks or basically anything. When it thaws out in the spring, you get the top layer. It's called the thaw like thaw depth and so at first it'll only be a couple centimeters but then at our site by the end of the season it's 80 60 yeah. 80 60 to 80 centimeters and then that that full area of soil that thaws out is called the active layer and, but we you don't get you don't get that until the end of the season it's important when you have that much um, soil that's thawing and especially if that's going to change with warming where you have more soil that is thawed that means that there's a lot more nutrients available for the plants to access but also for the microbes to access if the microbes are going to break it down and um, release carbon dioxide so that's why we're studying we've got this warming experiment and so we're trying to study how more thawed layer will how that will impact the amount of carbon dioxide that's either released or taken in by the ecosystem. And it's something that we monitor every week. Someone goes out there and sticks this little, it's a car antenna actually, into the ground until you can't like hit it any further and then measure how, how deep that distance is. And 
there are, what, 62 plots or something like that that each get measured three times. I think the borehole, the, like, statewide and the long-term borehole data sets are really useful as, like, a, a critical indicator of changing permafrost dynamics. And if you can find either a change in the depth or also a change in the temperature at a set depth, where it will transition. I think there's like critical points where it's at, it's below zero in permafrost for a while, and then it'll stay, it'll maybe creep up a little bit, but stay stable and then creep up a little bit. And then suddenly it'll jump, I think, to like above, you know, one or two degrees Celsius above zero. Um, and those are, that's a really important indicator of critical change in the ecosystem and really important for understanding how, um, the Arctic is shifting in response to warmer air temperatures. The the permafrost here is much closer to that thawing point, so it'll take a lot less of an increase to, to change it from permafrost to not permafrost. Whether, like in the Arctic, you would potentially get, like, for instance, Prudhoe Bay, where they're measuring it now, it's the same thing. They've got a minimal increase in the active layer. They're not actually seeing permafrost disappear like we are. So in the soil, you, you've got microbes, which are mostly bacteria and some fungi as well. And they are breaking down, we refer to it as carbon, but it's it's like basically dead plant material. And so the soil microbes can eat the dead plant material and then they sort of breathe out carbon dioxide. And that is what we are studying. I guess one thing I'd add is the interesting thing about tundra ecosystems is that you have a huge amount of soil organic material to break down. Like if you were to dig a hole in a forest in the tropics, um, there would be like a little tiny layer of organic material and then it would be all mineral soil because like most of the, most of the carbon there is locked up in the vegetation. But here, because it's so cold and wet, decomposition rates over the past however many tens of thousands of years have been really slow so there's been all this this huge buildup of soil organic material so all that stuff that's locked up in the permafrost as that permafrost thaws and is exposed to the microbes there's just a, a much greater potential here for the microbes to be respiring the concern is that as john mentioned we have all of this organic carbon, which is basically just dead plant material. I mean, if you go to the permafrost tunnel in Fairbanks, which you should do, you can see, I mean, you can see bones that are 16,000 years old or um, roots from trees that are really old. You don't find that in any other ecosystem because as soon as a root dies, boom, the microbes have eaten it and they have released carbon dioxide. But because it's so cold and wet here, you just have all all of this really old plant material that's preserved, which is a really cool aspect of the ecosystem. But then what happens when it's no longer cold? What happens when you warm it up? Then the microbes have access to it, and the microbes can eat it and, and release carbon dioxide. So that's what we're worried about. That's why we're worried that with climate change, when things are getting warmer, we're going to be releasing a lot more carbon dioxide. Then to make it a little bit more complicated, like the plants are also taking in carbon dioxide, 
but and the plants really like it when it's warm. So they're taking in more carbon dioxide. So our lab is studying the balance between that, the balance between the um, plants and the, the soil microbes. When you start to thaw things just a little bit, the moderately thawed, you actually see the ecosystems taking in more carbon, like the plants are winning. And that's just because the plants are pretty fast at responding. They're, they're able to access the nutrients and they're just able to do really well, whereas the, the soil is a little bit slower to respond. And then once you get to the extensively thawed site, then like the soil's winning and it becomes a carbon source is the base on an annual basis. During the growing season, it's usually the plant like the plants win during the growing season always. But then during then the winter, they don't get to play at all. So the soil wins. Um, and then we also so then we have this warming experiment where we're asking the same question. And what we see the plants are winning, the plants are doing much better under warming conditions than not, but so are the soil microbes. And right now it seems that things are shifting to a carbon source, meaning that the soil microbes are accessing that carbon at a faster rate than the plants are able to take in. If the microbial decomposition is greater than the plant growth then you'd have a source, and if plant growth is greater than microbial decomposition, then you have a sink. Um, and one a phenomenon that's been described across the Arctic and is fairly well documented is this idea of Arctic greening, where the idea is that as the climate changes, as permafrost thaws, and the soil, the active layer, becomes deeper, the plants will have uh, more access to nutrients and will grow really well and will as a result be very green and so people think that that will be for a while at least a dominant mechanism in across the arctic um, but then the question is how long will it take before the microbes catch up with the plants and before the that deeper active layer results in way more carbon being released because of decomposition and so one of the questions that i'm asking is in the longer term data since the experiment was set up in the last five years do we start to see a tip in that balance? And then looking also at what, why in our warmed and our not warmed areas, why is carbon release or carbon storage showing us the patterns that we're seeing? Is it related to the soil temperature changes? Is it related to moisture changes in the soil? So this area right here isn't really tundra. So, so you go further higher in elevation as you go to our field site and so um yeah we're there's just we're really on the brink of ecosystems here which is one reason that we're studying this place because change here since we're so close to change already and with climate change change here might be indicative of other ecosystems or, or like tundra ecosystems in other places much more in the future yeah, and I would even add that it's a double whammy because the boreal forest as a region is one of the ones that's going to potentially exhibit change before other ecosystems. And then their site is on what well, I guess it would technically be what be an ecotone. Mm -hmm. It's a between two ecosystems. It's that boundary layer. 
I think it's more being on that southern extent of the permafrost zone. And we're actually in the discontinuous permafrost zone, which means that some areas have permafrost and some areas don't, which is why you can drive three or two and a half miles down the road and get to an area where you can pump water because the, I don't think that they have permafrost there, but then we have it here. Change here will be indicative of what other changes further north might happen further in the future. One really interesting thing out at the field site is you can look at the ground subsidence, mm -hmm. um, which is basically where the permafrost is thawing, the ground is kind of collapsing on itself, and so if you were to stand um, looking at one of our experimental blocks and you look at the control side and then you look at the warning side, um, especially at this one particular block, block A, um, you can really see how the ground has collapsed. And on that side, like all the the plots that were put in perfectly level are all kind of getting off kilter as things are starting to kind of collapse. So that's that's one really neat thing that, you know, anyone could walk out to the site and kind of notice. And that actually is um, kind of cool about this experiment. Like, I don't think we have uh, quite figured out the best way to quantify that subsidence, but the subsidence that we're seeing which looks it, when you look at it it almost looks like it's an experimental artifact of the warming and the permafrost thaw but that i think is representative of what's happening on a landscape scale as well like permafrost thaw creates ground subsidence and collapse and thermocast areas and bits caving in um and we're almost recreating that on a small scale This has been a Polar Voices Perspective with the Ecosystem Dynamics Research Lab Spring Shoveling Team, formerly out of the University of Florida and now based at Northern Arizona University. You heard from former graduate student Elizabeth Webb, postdoctoral research associate Marguerite Moritz, former field tech John Kropik, and Bonanza Creek long-term ecological research station manager Jamie Hollingsworth. Field technician Justin Ledman and LTER's Lorian Nettleton were also on the team.